People ask Chris and me all the time, what is the best online sports book? And that is an easy, easy answer. MyBookie.ag is the best online sports book, and it's not even close. Go check it out for yourself, MyBookie.ag. Check out their sports book. I'm telling you, they got two-day payouts. You can talk to somebody in English. You can chat with them online, call them, do whatever you need to. You can deposit however you want to. Best online sports book out there. They got live odds, the best live odds. They got the best early uh, lines. I'm telling you, everything about this place is awesome. So go check it out. Put in promo code WCE100 when you sign up. They're going to give you a 100% deposit bonus. Right off the bat, you're making money. You don't even have to do anything. It doesn't get any better than that. So check out mybookie.ag. I'm Gary Seegers. Catch me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And I'm Chris Giannini. Follow me at ChrisBGiannini. And this is the Winning Cures Everything podcast from winningcureseverything.com. Before we get started, please subscribe to the podcast, share it, and review it. We cannot stress how important those reviews are for iTunes rankings, so help us out. Those of us who love this sport live for nights like this. You are looking live at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. 40. 40 years. How about that? So here is fourth down. Can you believe it? It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Are you kidding me? I bet you don't care. This is Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything, number 155. It is the Wednesday, November the 1st edition of the show. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. On today's show, look, we're just going to go on and get right to it. We're bringing in Keith Easterwood. All right, on today's show, we've got Keith Easterwood, veteran summer basketball coach, worked with Zunny Figaro for years. If you're from Memphis... You've heard him on with the Gary Paris Show on 92.9 ESPN. Keith, you don't have to worry about the FCC. We're all good. You can say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> How are things going over in East Tennessee, buddy? <laughs> I need to get me a podcast. <laughs> if, you want, if you want to do a good one, you need to hit me late Saturday night. That's another story. Hey, we can do that. We can do that. <laughs> yeah, we can. Hey, I'll make it real entertaining. But, you know, and obviously I got my – and what's going on with Memphis basketball. I talked to the guy at the Hamilton the other day, and obviously with Gary and the Lawson family and a guy named Colin Chandler and his son's coming through. He's going to be one of the best, if not already, one of the best ninth graders in the country that college coaches think um, that he's got a chance to be really special. Kennedy Chandler, he's at Briarcrest. you got East, as some people said, is the best high school team in the country, although I'm kind of waiting on the TWSAA to come out and say that <coughs> Wiseman and the other kid are eligible. Um and then you got the Butch Jones bullshit, and now that they fired, you know, the guy at Florida. Everybody here is like, well, why don't why have a cup cup? We haven't fired Butch Jones, which is going to happen. Um, but yeah, you know, and I, let's, I let's go on and start off with with that one first. Let's talk about Butch Jones first, because right. and then I'll get into Tyler Harris, and I'll get into all kind of other stuff. But why? All right, so I know from all the other coaching searches and whatnot that that we've kind of covered and, and dealt with. You don't make a change unless you got a plan, right? I right. feel like Florida probably has an idea of what they want to go after. They've known for a long time that they didn't like Jim McElwain. At Tennessee, I think that John Curry and those guys like Butch Jones. 
But I don't think they have any idea what they want to go after. There's no identity up there, is there? No, and I had two things with, with McIlwain, and I know some people, obviously Mike White and some people at the basketball program, but people at Florida, you know, he came – when you're Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, you being arrogant and an ass comes across, I won't say it's cute, but you put up with it because they win at a high level. So McIlwain goes in and tried to big-time everybody. He was arrogant with the AD, arrogant with the administration. So his, his stick kind of fell – on deaf ears, plus he wasn't winning. I mean, he obviously played in the East Championship two years, but this year, um, I don't <laughs> that know, ain't happening. <laughs> I don't know the picture of him honking the shark if that was really him or not. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, that was. I'm looking like that's not a good look. And then, then now the the fake or you know the supposed death threats that he can find no, um, no information to give anybody. He didn't report it. Um, <clears throat> so I think they're going to go in a direction. Of an offensive mind, is it Fuente? Is it uh, the guy at UCF or USF or where Frost? Um, you know, Norvell. <laughs> Norvell's name's been mentioned. I think you'll see more and more people with the way the game is gone trying to find these guys like Norvell, like Fuente, with wide open offenses. But the Butch Jones stuff, when they started the brick by brick commercials, and then when he, he was almost Josh like, and at all his press conferences, you could have just taped one from six, seven, five years ago, whenever. And just kept playing it because he was so cliche-ish. He gave you nothing to hang your hat on. He get, talked about nothing about adjustments, nothing about changes. Um, and so people were weary of him even going back two years ago. And then for them to come out and play like they played this year. Um, and the casual fan, the people, most of the people that plant their work for me are Tennessee fans. Of course, I've got an Alabama hat on my dash, and I walk around saying Roll Tide, which pisses everybody off in, in Dunlap, <laughs> Tennessee. But um, – you know, I think a move has got to be made, but can you negotiate? Obviously, they're going to be able to negotiate down with McIlwain because of some, some personal behaviors, but I don't know where they're at with Butch Jones because Tennessee owes him a lot of money. But they, I mean, people are not buying season tickets. They're not going to games. Sponsorship is falling. You know, and I've never lived in this part of the state, and Tennessee fans, Ole Miss fans, certain schools have always just gotten on my nerves, and I also have a lot of family members that are fans of both schools. But these people here... I went from taking great joy in the fact that they sucked to now you almost feel sorry for them. Um, but I think a change is coming. But I'm like you. I don't think they know what the hell to do. You know, the rumor, this is the third one going back from when the former staff recruited my kid, and then he leaves, they bring Kiffin in, then Dooley, and now this guy. The rumor is always that John Gruden, him and his wife are looking at a house, and Tennessee's offered Gruden $10 million, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think they're, that's, that's wishful thinking at best. Um, if I'm them, I'm looking at the same list that Florida is. And Florida actually, to me, was smarter because they beat Tennessee to the punch. And they're dealing with Jimmy Sexton, which could give them an, uh, one foot up on Tennessee um, if Sexton so inclines to move one of his offensive gurus to Florida. Which, I mean, I can't imagine a guy with a wide-open offense in Florida with all the athletes they have there. Oh, exactly. And, it, well, the thing with Sexton is uh, – so Jones actually hired Sexton back in July. And he claimed right. that he was making the agent change because Tennessee didn't extend his contract like they have every year, et cetera, et cetera. I'm of the right. belief that, that Jones knew that this was coming and that he's got Sexton working to get him in somewhere else. So I brought up on, on one of our shows last week that I think he may be trying to angle the Ole Miss job. And I don't know how the hell you'd sell that down in Oxford, but I could see him <laughs> trying to move out somewhere. And that's why they hadn't made the move is because, hey, just – Look, we know we're gone, 
But Sexton's already got me lined up elsewhere, so just let me leave, and that way it's not embarrassing for everybody, et cetera, et cetera. So I, right. you now you brought this up. You brought up Lane Kiffin, all that kind of stuff. It, his name is popping up for all kind of jobs. I don't know that he'll actually get one because I don't know that anybody actually likes him. But I remember a little bit of this story. I want our listeners to get the rundown on it. I want to know what happened on the recruiting trips that you and your son and, and several basketball players took back in 09 when Kiffin was at Tennessee. Tell me about all this. Yeah, and Tennessee, look, and I got some stories I'll share with Gary <laughs> on Tuesday where I just get myself into some shit. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you guys, Saturday night, I just got the plan I was at. I was laid off. I used to joke with Gary I made 5% of what Josh made because I was very proud of what I was doing with the DuPont facility. And they closed because the Koch brothers opened the plant in China. I won't get in all that. And they shut us down. 500 people. You know, most people are making $28, $32 an hour, overtime benefits. And it was a real job. And so I struggled to find what I was looking for, but a company found me. And this is actually my second week. So Saturday, the wife and I, we went downtown Chattanooga, North Shore. We celebrated, blah, blah, blah. Walked the river. Um, we go back home. We hang out about, I don't know, 12, 12.30. She's asleep. I go across the hall, get in the recliner, turn on Sports Center. You got packed. 10, Pac-12, whatever that bullshit football is, and watching some NBA and keeping up with sports, and I fell asleep. So I hear something about 1 o'clock. I go downstairs. <laughs> Y'all are hearing this for GP. And so <laughs> I open my front door, and I look, and there's like six police cars on Denton Street. They've got the street strategically blocked. Where If you're going to leave my Denton Street, I guess you would drive through yards. And so... This is the difference between me, you, and some brothers. The brothers would have closed the door and said, shit, I ain't going out there. Well, my dumb ass, I got on socks, <laughs> some sweatpants, and a Memphis basketball shirt. And I wasn't drunk or nothing, but I had a good buzz. I walk out. I go out to the front porch, take the ride, go to the driveway, go to the end of my truck. I don't see anybody. So I'm looking at the cop cars. I turn, and there stands three Chattanooga police officers. They make me assume the position. They put the handcuffs on me. They were really over the top. Um... I need to see ID. I'm yes sir, no sir, because I don't want to get in the last whooping, especially I ain't even left my property. So we go to the front door. My wife, as some people know, is African-American or whatever the, the right description the, of that the shit is. Anyway, politically correct term. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. me and her are real politically correct with each other. But So he says, now I need to see his ID. Well, she hands my license out, and when she pulls the door back, they didn't catch it, but I did. She locked it. And then he says, because she's real anti Trump, anti-police, anti-whatever. He, he says, ma'am, now I'm standing on the front porch handcuffed. I haven't done a damn thing. He says, ma'am, I need to see your ID. And she basically was like, fuck you. I'm going upstairs. If you got a search warrant, come back. If not, kiss my ass. And she goes upstairs. And so there I stand with these three Chattanooga police officers. Uh, I'm like, damn. They take me back to the end of my truck. He gives my license to a guy to go around. I have no criminal record, so I wasn't worried about that. Then they called on the radio. Hey, we called a guy down. They gave the address. I knew it was at the end of the code. So anyway, the guy comes back. He's clean, blah, blah, blah. They take the handcuffs off. They talk real crazy to me. Um, they made me do a field sobriety test. I'm in my driveway. Now, I was I'm about like, to say, you hadn't you. driven or anything, right? Like, you're just... Not since 9 o'clock that night that he called me then. It might have been a different conversation. But um, <laughs> then the guy, you know, he wants to be tough. He's like, we don't plan on seeing you again tonight. And I'm thinking, well, why in the hell would you see me? It's now one thirty. You know, I'm like, but I didn't say nothing. I didn't want the ass whooping. I go to the front door. She's shaking her head. She unlocks the door. She'd made me a double. We go upstairs. She's like, 
you don't get it, do you? The police, all police are not honest. And I'm like, yeah. She said, you were, had they wanted to, they could have took your big ass to jail for something. So next time I see a commotion, I'm just going to peep out the window and I won't go outside. Um, but I yeah, just I, I don't blame you on that. <laughs> I mean, with stuff, I mean, like with the Lawsons and just different things, I've been blessed over the years on that to really just sometimes be in the middle of conversations and things happen and you know, then with the police the other night, that's not a situation that I wanted to be in. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Here, let, don't, help me out with the with the Lane Kiffin stuff. Let me get back to the Lane Kiffin stuff. Okay, so I, I I'm wanna... trying to get out of that. And in 09, <laughs> Andre Hoffman, Dino Johnson, uh, there were some really good basketball players playing basketball for me. Right. Chris Jones, who ultimately signed Tennessee but had to go to junior college route. There was a couple of football players – um, one went to Auburn, Sean Coleman, my son. Um, hell, at the time, I'm 50, 49. But if you've been to Tennessee, they got whatever they call them girls, the hostesses. Right. And so we walk up, and they've been taught to make eye contact. And, like, even under a I was like, damn, I feel like I'm being eye-raped, you know? And I'm like, whatever. So they signed this girl to me and my son and a kid. And then Andre and him were with other girls. But we'd go to the Duval Walk. <laughs> And I don't know if she was doing it on purpose, but I, when you go with recruits, and it's not legal, but it happens at every campus, so it's no big deal, the, you, you're walking with big black individuals, so boosters assume you're walking with recruits, which I was. Right, okay. So my son, they're like, hey, y'all come get what you want. Well, my son opened this this white cooler, and he's like, Dad, come here. And there was like every whiskey known to mankind. I said, shit, <laughs> let me get me some of that. So There you go. So we're walking. They've all eaten. I've got two doubles and um the hostess has been assigned anyway we do the ball walk with this girl beautiful woman nice jugs the whole nine yards she's sashaying turning left to right and rubbing them on me on sean on whatever and so and i'm grown and so about the third time i just like between her breast and the alcohol shit was hitting i'm like hey lady young lady yeah it was very nice i said you stop that with me. What you do with him, that's on that's on you. Um, and it, it was nothing. I mean, I wasn't trying to. I don't think she was trying to have sex. I wasn't trying to. It was none of that. It was just a way. That's it was what trying to convince y'all. Yeah. Yeah, you did a damn good job. Don't get me wrong. I can tell you other stories about guys who went up there and spent the night with their hostess. I will tell you, we went to LSU the same year, and you go behind Tiger Stadium. First time I'd been there, and there's like, there's more people than you can, you're like, where are these damn people come from? Then we heard all these Kunas, Cajun accents coming in, which I've been working for Cajuns for the last five, six years, so I've kind of got familiar with their culture. But as we walk up to this back gate, and the guy's got a podium and says, recruits, these two young ladies come up, and this little girl says, you're Courtney, that's my son. He said, and he's looking, and they're damn good looking. He said, yeah. She said, are y'all alone? He said, yeah. She said, well, you get three tickets, so I'm going to go in as your date. And we go in, I'm like, shit, I don't blame you. So we go in, and they had the spread. They had this, I mean, the, the food on that visit was better than anywhere we went. And you go in, the little girl basically says, look, when we hit the field, you can go sit in the stands. I'm going to hang out with him, blah, blah, blah. They saw our phone number. I don't know the whole, whatever. Make them, I mean, we left that night after the game, actually drove back to Memphis. That's the night that Miles went four, four, time on four, uh, four times on fourth down and got it against a team oh, that yeah. yeah, but the deal, I mean, Justin Reed just passed away, and I told the story from the Provine Policy went to Ole Miss basketball player. Yeah. Um, he had cancer. And I told the story in Auburn back in the day, and if I told you the staff, it would make sense. If you went on a visit to all officials, sometimes during the night, 
somebody was coming to your hotel room, a, a, scene, uh, a, a nice looking female, and you were going to spend the night with her and get $1,000 cash. And most guys would verbal, but when they got away, they would decommit, which is what Justin did. And so this stuff has been going on. It's just that because I do have some decency about me, I was just like, yeah, young lady. But I wouldn't want my daughter rubbing booze on no 49-year-old dude. And I don't have a daughter, thank God, because <laughs> we'd all be in trouble. But I was like, you know, this is just not – it wasn't cool for me. Um, had we been in a club or a strip club or something, maybe it's different. But to be standing with my son and these kids, I was like, you know, buddy, just, just, this is not cool. Let's don't do that. But I, so I tell it, and then Tennessee people pick up and on the internet. That, and I, I try not to go read other Memphis stuff because they they grill me enough. And so it, it happened. It was innocent. <laughs> it was no big deal. Um, but Tennessee fans took offense, but they take offense easily anyway. Well, I mean, but you could tell that it was something that was that was set up. They absolutely, they were taught to do it. yeah, they yeah. were taught to do this whole thing, and that, and it's not just at Tennessee. This goes on everywhere, right? You no, know, a lady that worked with me at a plant in Memphis years ago was a they call them ball girls or whatever. She was very proud. She looked a lot like this young lady, and, and as we and I was working there at the time, and I'm like, I told her she laughed. She said, "That's just part of the routine, Keith." She said. Um, two or three swipes with boobs, firm boobs, and usually you've got everybody's attention. Um, <laughs> she ain't and then lying. They, then they, this, yeah, yeah, no shit. Then they say key things like, hey, you know, whatever we can do to get you to go to Tennessee. Well, if you're 16, 17-year-old, you know what you're thinking. Um, it's no different when college coaches say to a family member, hey, we'll do whatever we got to do to be involved with your kid. Well, you take that. If you're greedy, you take it to mean something a lot of times like it's not supposed to mean. At the same time, as we see what's going on in the world of college basketball, sometimes it does mean that. It, it, it's up to the incumbent, the person being recruited or handled the recruitment. You know, I could have a budget to give you, Gary, you know, you and your family 40, 50 grand to go to, you know, big state. And if I can get you for five grand, then that's better for me. Um, so, so the coaches usually have the advantage unless somebody has a Sonny Vaccaro, has a me, or somebody has been through this to say, don't, don't, if you're going to do this, if you are. You know, don't don't shortchange yourself because there's a ceiling of what they can do for you. Um, but I always try to encourage people if you did that, which, you know, I knew stuff went on. I set the table for people and walked away because I never made a penny off a kid. But if you were going to do it, it needed to be me and Gary, it needed to be cash, and that's it. That way all this wiretapping on this other stuff wouldn't happen. Um, and when you start getting Jim Goddard, who I've known for years, and other people moving money, wiring money, and doing what they did. Leaving paper trails. Um, yeah, and I, you know, again, Sonny, when when Sonny left Adidas, uh, he was out of the game for a minute, and I was running a Nike program here, George Raveling, and a bunch of Nike people took me to or whatever the name of the state place is in the Madison. It was a damn good state, though. Um, and they basically wanted me to rat Sonny out, and I refused to do it. And Sonny got back with Reebok, made a run with him, went back and ran the Wild WMCA program before the Bobby Dodd rumor started. Of course, now it's Team Penny. It's the exact same group, exact same people. But at the same time, it was the same thing. Hey, let, let's go. They, they thought they could give me Long Island iced teas in me, and I'd rat Sonny out. I, I never would. I would never. I just don't believe in stuff like this. Sonny was good to me and my family, but there were times where Sonny probably helped somebody, guys that I had. Hey, Sonny, this kid wants to go to. Had a kid go to Arkansas. He knew his high school coach benefited. Um, so I called and said, hey, Sonny, kids going to Arkansas, you know, the coach it fairly, um, benefited financially. And Sonny said, I'll make a phone call, be sure the kids took care of. Now, what that meant, what that translated to, I have no idea. Uh, but the kid never complained. He lived well over there, had a good career over there. Um, and he went where he wanted to go. 
Well, he went where his uncle and, and damn Sylvester Ford wanted him to go. I don't think that's where he wanted to go. You know, Tony Harris didn't want to go to Tennessee. Well, yeah. No. Tony Harris Tony was at my house the night before he signed. At the front door, he's crying, snot running everywhere. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying, Tony, don't commit. Don't just don't sign. Just wait. Um, and I actually did a radio show on WHBQ the next day, and that was the most venom ever spewed by callers uh, toward that kid even though people knew that Uncle Frank was the one who orchestrated all this shit. Um, and, of course, Tim Thompson and I did a high school football game that night. That's quite a mix of people. But, you know, that deal was, and Tony's in a bar in Knoxville, and he gave Gary a, what could have been a Pulitzer Prize story because I put them together. Gary's going to write it three years ago on some basketball signing day, but Tony's wife encouraged him not to do it. Yeah. And Gary had told him, hey, I got the story. The story's written. It's ready to go. My editor, I mean, this is going to be off the chain. And out of respect to Tony and out of respect to me, Geary did not write the story. Now, we've kind of chopped it up on this on this show of everything that went on. Um, so, you know, that's my thing. If you got, if you know where your kid wants to go and you can benefit from a job or you can benefit from whatever the benefit is you're looking for, some are happy just to get a steak dinner. Uh, Joe Jackson's grandmama got a bunch of damn Lenny subs and, I'm not going to go on and on about stuff. That I, no, I'm just telling you. Yeah, because people short sell themselves. I know, I mean, I know guys in Mississippi, especially in the rural part of Mississippi, who are poor, and it would be nothing for a college coach to take the mama to Walmart and, like, she'd she get three baskets of stuff to take it home. The kid was going to Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Now, it's, it's a long time ago, maybe, and then certainly times have changed and people more sophisticated because of social media. Um, but it, I always encourage people, where does the kid want to go? Okay, try to try to go have a drink with the assistant coach and see if he can help you better your life. If not, let the kid go where he wants to go. Alex Lomax wants to go to Memphis, but the people around him are not going to have it, I don't think, although Butch Pierre is doing a good job of, of trying to convince them that Memphis is the place to be. I do think Tyler Harris will be a Tiger, but like a reporter I talked to the other day said, why are we excited about a 5'8'2 guard, although the kid can play? I just think right now if we got some quality signees, out of Memphis, it would do a long go a long way to help people kind of feel better about Tubby and his staff. Yeah, it helped the fan base. It helped everything. That's right. Hey, Keith, what's the difference between college football recruiting and college basketball recruiting? Like we we all know that they're all dirty, okay? But but in college basketball, we're seeing these big companies are involved in in that heavily. That's what the FBI stuff came in. Does football have that issue, or is it just a different kind of dirty? Well, I was lucky because of my relationship with Sonny to go to lunch or dinner with some great college coaches. I remember one night at, at dinner, Big John Thompson, you know, he, Sonny and I were talking about it. I, I, I usually, because I was young, I was so so overwhelmed to be in their company. But I remember Sonny and John chopping it up, and John, you know, he looked at me and said, Keith, what is cheating? And he would ask people that quite a bit. Um, the shoe companies are throwing money at college football programs. A lot of times they're doing a whole, whole school deal. But the dynamics of summer basketball, you know, Nike spending the land, and, and I'm still tied in to talk to those guys. Nike spending probably three mil to outfits, and you got to understand this. So if if one of you guys are a top 25, 30, 50 player, if I'm going to sponsor your high school team, your AAU team, when you go back and play high school ball, I'm dropping a package on them just as well. Um, so a lot, say three million is invested for high school slash AAU basketball. Okay. And Adidas is spending two, and Under Armour is spending two. Maybe more than that now with all the camps and Adidas Nations and the stuff that goes with it. So they've invested 
a tremendous amount of money, and I know because I've been in meetings, um, they do want, if it's possible, if it's not something where they're going to be quoted on, those guys want you to try to help Adidas guys go to Adidas schools, although the quality of college basketball programs are dominated, obviously, by Nike. There are some good um, Adidas programs. So I think, and I, I just, I didn't get this one. Honestly, God, I didn't get it. Um, so God will tell me there's, there's more to this, either through an agent. You know, the, the story is if you get a top 10 guy who's going to be a top 10 NBA draft pick, played 15 years, and you can get a couple percentage points off his contract, then you can make millions off that guy, off that kid. So Gatto must have been led to believe that if he could help steer this kid down the yellow brick road, there was a payoff for him. What I'm waiting to see is, and I believe this is what happened from what I've been told, Adidas had to have written a check to a summer guy, to a third-party guy who funneled the money to the family. Now, here's what happens. This is when it, and it hadn't hit the fan yet, but it's coming. So you give me a hundred grand to go get a guy. Okay. I only get a guy forty. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Are you with me? No, this is this is very common. And then, so I don't know. So if everybody now looking at these numbers, wondering where all the money went, did the family get all the money? I'm betting that it didn't, because normally everybody involved takes a takes a little bit off the top. It's kind of like liars poker. Um, but football. You know, running back, a quarterback, a defensive end who's a hell of a pass rusher can make a difference in your program. Football is different um, because of the money in the program. Those guys live an incredible lifestyle. My kid played Division II football, and you know, after four years, he needed to finish up in Memphis, and hell, he got a $100 late fee. And I'm like, what the hell is this all about? He's like, hell, in four years, I never registered. Oh, my locker, there were my books, there was my this, there was my that. I got my pill money back, and he lived like a king. I can't imagine what it's like legally at Alabama, Tennessee, and other places. Basketball, one or two guys could change the whole program. Um, and then guys now are making so much money. Patino's full of shit. He knew every about the hookers. And I've talked oh, to too yeah. many people up there. But players up there. Yeah, I mean, you know, come on, don't play me. I mean, just like the lady in the restaurant. I ain't got no problem with you bonus some woman on the table at the damn Italian restaurant Louisville. But don't, don't, don't <laughs> go on the SPN. You know, with Jay Bilas and you get fed these damn cornball questions, I turned it off. I'm not listening to shit. But I just think the opportunity to be good in basketball is quicker if you can pluck you one or two guys. Um, this has been going on forever. This is I'll tell you, the evolution, I can't remember the guy that went to Kansas State with Michael Beasley and they gave him a half a million dollars. Well, the half a mil was to go get other players because normally an assistant at that time was making a quarter. So if you look at these elevated salaries of assistant college basketball coaches, um, that money, the extra money, is there for a reason. What Kenny and Chuck Parson and some other people did, look, and I can't say if you call me and say, Keith, here's 50 G, go get this done. I mean, that does make a change in your life. You're going to put it in a, well, you're going to bank it, you're going to spend it, you're going to get your old lady a Louis Vuitton purse. Hell, I don't know. Um, right, but but now, greed. Look, and, you, you brought up Chuck Parson. Now he's a he's one of the big names in it, and he works for our buddy Bruce Pearl. Now, right. is this thing an issue for Pearl? Like I, the guy had a show cause when Auburn hired him. Is is there a chance that this stuff kind of rebirths any old issues that he had? I think if it was, just like they're already subpoenaed Larinaga and uh, Patino, I would think they would already have been a subpoena for Beefy. Um, the people that I've talked to think this was just a, a cash grab by by Chuck. Um, but until everything comes out, and then I'll tell you what the FBI has done. I had a guy call me. Um, 
actually last summer, he was an ex-FBI agent trying to figure out, he was investigating a scout, and he's like, well, I got you, let's walk through this. And so I kind of walked him through what they caught guys doing, although the dollar figures were nowhere near what I thought they were going to be. But um, on one hand, I hope it doesn't get BP caught up in it because I really like him. The guy was great to me and my family. Um, on the other hand, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't shock me. Um, but well, he knew how to play the game. If, like he, he understood what needed to go down to be able to get players. I want to tell you something. Had they not, because, I mean, Passner sent an assistant coach to my house and gave me a G not to take those guys to camp one time, which I didn't give a shit one way or the other. It's just that Josh didn't have a camp. And BP, to his credit, just said, hey, rent a van. We'll pay you to work camp. Uh, we'll reimburse you for the van, the gas, everything is legal, although that money was probably enhanced a little bit, uh, but nothing major. Um, and then when it broke, that I, Easter was taking a van full of the best players in Memphis to a Tennessee camp. You know, I gave a guy from Nike called and says, if you go up there, we're taking your sponsorship. Like, I gave the story to Gary. He wrote it, which ultimately cost me my position with the Memphis Wild MCA, which is probably good because when the Bobby Dodd story broke, I had nothing to do with the people. But um, I, had they not done what they did in the barbecue deal, and I thought the kid taking the picture was a bitch move anyway, but what had he not got caught doing whatever they did and got Forbes and MLI, they were about to have the number one recruiting class in America. There's no question. Any, anybody other than maybe a Memphis fan who can't be objective Tennessee was about to bring in a monster-ass class. And obviously those guys, you know, Parker goes to UCLA, Shaq Goodwin comes here, other guys went elsewhere. Um, but they were so all yeah. going to be in Knoxville, and they were all they, they were, were about to do some damage. Be. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you what, you know, again, and I couldn't mention his name on the radio because when I hired Tubby, I kept talking about Forbes, but it wasn't so much Forbes. It was somebody understanding the culture that is Memphis basketball. And I use, you know, Hobo's Hero Street Corner Clowns and the Sam Sausages. Pearl had invested, I mean, not Pearl, but Forbes had invested a lot of time, personal time, to get to know those guys. Right. Um, was it to take them to, you know, somewhere Buffalo Wild Wings and get them a couple of beers and a shot, chicken wings, or, you know, send them some Tennessee gear? Um, and there's people that maybe other people would look down on because they're inner city, they're streety, they probably got prison records and things of that nature. Some of them don't got a job, but what they have, what they have is at Davis Park or at Melrose or at BTW, they got relationships with these kids and their families. So Pearl sends a guy in South Memphis or or, or, for, or whoever sent a box of orange shit and orange shoes and also in that box is the same size that the kid they like wears and his uncle wears and all that. Now they're bopping around South Memphis in Tennessee gear, and then he comes to town and it's legal, and they're like, "Well, yeah, let's go wherever y'all want to go on Bill Street and shit. Let's eat steak, and let's drink and hang out. Well, that's right up their alley. They don't got no job, they don't got to be nowhere. They're on his nickel, and he had invested a tremendous amount of time legally. He could go to eighth grade practices to hear Andre Hollins and Chris Jones and those guys were eighth graders. NCAA keeps changing rules, so when we would practice at Treadwell in June, it's so damn hot in there. He would pop up twice. He would pop up twice a week. We got pictures with him. Then he would leave there, go to Cowboys eighth grade practice. Um, at the time, Team Thad didn't didn't really have a group going, but he would go to different, like three or four eighth grade practices in Memphis and other places in a week to build to build those relationships. Other people did not put that time into it. So 
more than a barbecue, more than paying a player, he had invested. I mean, they go to Leslie McDonald's daddy's barbershop. My, you know, the word was they left a hundred dollar tip. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I don't, everybody's yeah. doing something. Whatever you got to do to get an edge. You know, the game changed on me when all these kids got cell phones. It used to be, I would call Reginald Mosby at East, Ted Anderson, Sylvester Ford, whoever. They were having trials at Ridgeway Saturday. And normally they would give me the parents' phone number so I could let them know who I was. And they would bring them to my practice. Everything was done above board. And we would go and usually have one of the best teams in the country. But then it became a deal of people texting 13, 14, 15-year-old kids all night. I'm just not comfortable doing that. No. And so... I didn't do it. I haven't done it here. We've won a national championship here. Um, but you've got these guys, um, Norton Hurd and Cowboy and other guys who don't have jobs. Which, if you can make, if you can make a living and don't got to work a nine to five like I'm doing, God bless you. But, um, and so but they feels... stay peppering these kids with yeah. text, with whatever, social media. Um, so the game has changed, but at the same time, these guys are chasing players. Because if they don't keep those players, they're going to lose the shoe deal that they have. All right, Keith. Let me, you've, you've seen coaching at all different levels in basketball. Um, same goes for college football now. Everybody's making money. Even the smaller schools' coaches have the ability to make good money. Um, right. You know, looking at Mike Norvell, for instance, as an example, coming up, he's about to get offered a lot of big jobs in the country. He's the hot <laughs> name. Right. Are we at any level where the small schools can compete financially to where if somebody is comfortable being at a small school and they're happy, you know, do, do they have to make the jump? Because we've seen it in college basketball. These guys don't take the big jobs because they can make just as much money and and they're happy. Yeah, but they also can get your teams in a tournament on, on equal playing field, maybe on a Friday night. You know, in NCAA tournament, you got a chance to pull an upset. Can Norvell, and if they went out, maybe they got a chance to play, you know, in a New Year's Day bowl game. But not um, for the national championship. It would be difficult. Even if you go 12-0, 13-0 with your with your conference championship game, I think that's not in the cards. But, I mean, to me, Memphis was a great place to live. And if you're, you know, if, if somebody could put together a package of four meal, would he stay? Would he be appreciative of the opportunity that he got? No, would he continue to recruit? I mean, he's done a damn good job. I mean, I'm amazed at the quality of players that he's brought in. He's been lucky with transfers. Oh, yeah, and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I think what is incumbent upon Bowen and Rudd is, you know, R.C. joked about the list. They need they need to find – they did a good job post-UNTA finding Norvell. There's got to be a couple of Norvells out there now, two young offensive um, coordinators who go spread the ball, understand matchups, understand space. Um, but I talked to a friend of mine, his ex-Tiger, the other day, I, I really think you're going to have to get a $4 million deal together and sign it for a while, give him a good buyout, which obviously the buyouts have become big today, but you know, egotistically, do you want to go share or test your wares you know, in the SEC against Saban and against those guys? Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that for Norvell. I know people that know him. I know his Tigers that are around him. Seems to be pretty well grounded. Seems to be happy. He's from Arkansas. Um would he take the Arkansas job? Would he take the Florida job? Would the Florida job even fall to him? Um, but that, that's got to be an attractive job just because of the athletes in the state. But I think to keep him, they're going to have to find a ceiling and maybe exceed that. So, you know, if the Memphis coach is making $4 million and, and, a, and a power five school wants him, then they know they at least got to come up with five or more 
and do they want to make that commitment and do that? Which, to be honest with you, if you look at the money Saban and Myers and some of these guys are making, you know, the schools getting getting it back in what they're making um, and in, in enrollment and things of that nature. I just, I just, it hurts my heart to think that we can't keep a good football coach. But right now, unfortunately, in football, we're on the outside looking in. We're in basketball. If Tubby could win the AAC, and even if he got a six or seven seed, you pull. You know, maybe not even a first round upset, a second round upset. All of a sudden, you've had a hell of a year. That's right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and Tubby's making three million a year, which is just absurd <laughs> by Memphis standards. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things where Calipari was offered the same amount of money to stay at Memphis as he was Kentucky, and Kentucky is just Kentucky. It's a different level thing, right? So with Norvell, Man, I, I saw John. Yeah, I yeah. saw John in July after he got the Kentucky job at, at uh, the AA Nationals. He had a Kentucky shirt on. He comes in and um, he was proud of it. Wasn't Andy Cat, oh man, he's the shit. And the, the Red Sea parted. <laughs> he went in and got the seat he wanted. You know, and I went up. You know, and he told these terms. He said, "Oh, you can't talk to coaches." And I told Jay, hey, "Fuck you! I've been on in twenty years. I'm gonna go check his hand." And I went up and hugged him. I said, "You know," and he was worried about Memphis people being mad. I said, "I said, John, you look like the damn Kentucky coach." And he's like, "Where are you gonna be tonight?" So we had a drink, with no big deal. But he and he does. He looks like the Kentucky coach. And I think again, his was ego. Can I go do it at that level? Adolph Rupp and the people that have come in between the national championships and what goes with it. Um, you know, and then you mentioned Tubby. The the wor- worry is, does he, he? John went to Kentucky with a drive. He was yes. Kentucky hungry. It's just, hey, I, I got to reprove myself all over again, not only to the basketball world. But these crazy ass fans, he always called Memphis mini Kentucky, Kentucky Junior, which I thought I, I took it as a compliment. But the worry is does Tubby had that same zeal. He took a pass the first year. There were so many guys we thought fans, the subculture of these Memphis basketball fans, recruiting idiots, could have he could have went out and got and made the roster better. Um Postal Lawson's leaving, which I know he's really glad all of them are gone. Um he brought in mostly a JUCO class, although I think Nickelberry and the Johnson kid are gonna be good players. Um, but it takes Juco guys sometimes a year to get acclimated to Division One level. But from talking to the, some of the summer guys I've mentioned, he doesn't have a relationship with those guys. And at some point, it could hurt you. Um, so my thing, and when I watch the really good recruiters, they didn't want anybody in a position to hurt them, if you will. And he almost come. I know when he recruited Andre Holland, he's like, Keith, I ain't fucking with Cowboy. I'm not fucking with you, which I didn't want to be involved anyway because I knew Andre's daddy was a high school basketball coach. He said, I'm going to deal with Patino and Andre's daddy. And ultimately, his relationship with Andre's daddy is why the kid went to Minnesota. And see, that, now, with the FBI stuff breaking, obviously that's probably the happiest Memphis has ever been that they hired Tubby Smith. But <laughs> but at some point, we're we're getting close here. I mean, we're, we're about to go into his second year. He's got a five-year contract. I mean, Tubby's on up there in age. So... Yeah. You were talking about that drive. Is it does he just not have the drive to win, or is it he just is not going to be involved with shady people regardless? I think it's the latter. I think here's what I watch guys do, and I've been blessed to be involved in this game at a pretty high level for over thirty years, just because of the good players in Memphis, not because of me necessarily, but. Guys get, and I, again, we go back to John. I don't know how he keeps his engine revved to recruit at a high level. To recruit at a high level means a lot of phone calls, a lot of mail. Now, your assistants can make phone calls. You know, your managers can send the letters and, and stamp your name on there. It's not that big a deal. 
but you still got to get out in July. You still got to get out in April. You still got to go make home visits. Still got to entertain and get them on campus and wine and dine. You still got to have your assistants figure out who is the key person in this kid's recruitment. It's a lot of energy to recruit high-level guys because they expect to have their ass kissed because everybody else is kissing their ass. So they didn't. They don't want to come to Memphis, you know, and stay at the Holiday Inn because Duke put them up at the damn Rich Carlton. You with me? So they right. want to stay downtown at the Westin, or so they're. Comp- and it's not probably the right way to do it, but they're comparing hotels to hotels, dinners to dinners, steaks to steaks, girls to girls. Um, um, you know, John was smart. He brought his better recruits in during the Southern Heritage Classic. Oh, that's yeah, <laughs> that's the first smart time play. He told me he was, yeah, when, it, when the first time he told me he did it, I'm like, that's a smart SOB right there. <laughs> and so I don't know that that staff and people are not happy that maybe the kids all has, you know, been elevated. And you got Butch Pierre over there who arguably is one of the better recruiters in the country. Um, Pooh, nobody over there in the last 10 years has signed a top 50 guy. Nobody. Yeah. Um, maybe we're spoiled in Memphis. I don't know. But I think we, we expect better. We expect more. Um well, when we got them growing in our backyard, you kind of think that you're going to get at least one of them. Yeah, and I will tell you this. The Lawsons, because I'll call Keelan. He's got damn half the best basketball players in Memphis at his house. Um, so does he choose to hurt them with Jeffries, which I think there's been some damage done? Does he choose to hurt them you know, with Malcolm Dandridge, who is at their house like every day, riding to school with them? Um, there's some other names that they're guys that, him and his wife coached Team Penny 16 and under team last year. Um, does he choose to hurt them? There are people in the community, especially in the African-American community, who kind of are pissed at Tubby over the way the Keelan deal got handled. At the same time, Tubby didn't think, and there's other people that would agree, that Keelan, as far as doing a pregame scouting report, going and writing up a report on a kid that he observed in, in July, and some other things that necessitate being a quality division one assistant coach, that he didn't have those skills. But what Keelan wanted post-Josh was to learn from Tubby. But they, again, Keelan's side of the story is they'd walk by his office and go eat lunch, go to practice, and not say nothing to him. But I know people, like, I sent me a video of Keelan at practice, and he's sitting on the bleachers at the bench, and he has no responsibilities at practice. Now, that if that's Tubby's warning, then you got to give to it because that's his ball club and his program. But he could have maybe finessed that a little bit better because I think once the dad got disenchanted and wasn't happy, it obviously spilled over to the kids, and that's why he saw some of the behavioral issues that you saw with them. Um, but Tubby's glad they're gone. He's got what he thought he needed as far as good players to bring in and win. Um, you look at the schedule, there's some pretty damn good teams on the schedule. I think the AAC is better than what some people think. The key you know, may not be this year, but like you said, the next two years in West Tennessee and in Memphis and in North Mississippi and Eastern Arkansas, there are some damn good high level quality basketball players coming out that, you know, we expected Dana Kirk to go get. We expected Larry Fence to go get. I mean, kick obviously had a short term here and he relied on some Jucos. Cal was able to tell Ernest Shelton, F you, I'm going to go get Anthony Rice, and so on. And, you know, we got so sick of J.B. Prince's family. <laughs> we walked out of the Peach Jam one day, and he's like, this is what he said. I love that guy. And Tyler, Tyler Smith is walking with me. He said, hey, Keith, fuck that kid. Talking about J.P. Fuck him and fuck his daddy. He said, what do you think about that kid? Did this score? He said, what do you think about that kid from Detroit just scored 32 on y'all? Well, that was Chris Douglas Roberts. We won the game. 
he said, I'm going to take him instead. And then he looked at Tyler. He said, and if you would come with me, I can fucking make you a pro because you got everything you need other than somebody needs to teach you a skill set. Well, Tyler Smith, obviously. And I go, Cal goes in with DK to Tyler Smith's house. Billy Smith is dead. That's his dad. I had to do a deal to get Tyler to go to the Nationals with us. All right. Um, and Billy immediately tells Cal what he has to do monetarily to get Tyler. Well, DK's sitting there, and Cal just gets up and walks up the front door. <laughs> and, and there, because and DK has taught me, he said, man, when Cal, he said, you can tell, and then Barbie said the same thing. When you go into a home visit with Cal, when he's got a rocking and rolling, and he's really good, and he's, he's, in, he's engaged, he's like, man, it's fucking a work of art. He said, within five minutes, Cal's like, because Billy excused Tyler to his bedroom, and then Billy says, Coach, to get the kid, I'm going to have to have, and I don't remember figure. Not that it, it many days. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, Cal gets up and walks out. So Dick, he said, he sit there, Billy's looking at him, he's looking at Billy, and um, he says, uh, Cal texts him and said, where the fuck are you? And they drove back to Memphis. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah. And see, when you when you got balls like that to be able to just, it, it, but but you also got to be winning, right? Now, Tubby's kind of got the same thing, it, but he's got those same kind of balls, even though he's not winning. Like, and there's, it, it, it's it's frustrating for Memphis fans because when you've got a guy that's that's willing to to walk in and just not take any crap from anybody, it's different. You know, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen this year. Very, very I mean, curious. Here's what, yeah, you hope they win. People go back to the forum. Yeah. You hope that if they win, the young guys in Memphis will be somewhat engaged. Um, but if they lose, the whole thing could go to hell in a handbasket real quick, not only from support, ticket sales, which I'm hearing are not as good as what they would like for us to believe, but it also, because we live in this instantaneous society, these kids and their families are going to be like, the hell with that, and college coaches will eat each other up. Um, so it could be tough for them. I mean, again, I'm hoping for the best. What I'm hoping is there's a plan that if this thing derails, that they have an understanding of what needs to come next. Um, and the next guy, I mean, Steve Rockerford, who was with Cal when he first came to Memphis. Okay. I picked him up drunk one night downtown. He couldn't drive. I'll get him, and he's telling me his his quote was this. <laughs> I'm gonna tell y'all this, and I gotta get back on the floor. Steve Rockefeller's quote was this: "Cause he's halfway through a fifth of Jack Daniels." He said, "Eastwood, I would get off some pussy if I thought a recruit was calling me." I just mm-hmm. don't think the present staff has that mindset. That I do agree with that. I agree with you. I like there. it. All right, let's let you get back on the floor. He is the right Reverend Keith Eastwood. He's preaching the truth. <laughs> Keith, we got to get you back on again once we get into basketball season. That sound all right? Hey, man, pick a Saturday, and I'll tell it like it is. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it, buddy. All hey, right. Thanks. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate you guys. Hey, thanks, we appreciate you, buddy. It's time for the rundown. Remember, check out winningcureseverything.com. You can give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash winningcureseverything. You can follow us on Twitter, at winningcures. You can follow myself, at GaryWCE. You can follow me at Chris B. Giannini, C-H-R-I-S-B-G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I. You can also email the show, that's winningcureseverything at gmail.com. And we now have a voicemail line. That number is 551 226 9899. If you want to call and bash us for talking bad about your favorite team or praise us, 
or just tell us about how awesome your team is doing, leave us a voicemail. That number again is 551-226-9899, and we may toss it on the show. Thank you for supporting this show, and until next time, have a good one, guys. Hey, don't forget, subscribe to the Winning Cures Everything podcast on iTunes and make sure you leave a review. For every 25 written five-star reviews we get on iTunes, we are donating to St. Jude's Children's Hospital and LeBonner's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. So subscribe and review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast apps. Remember, the Winning Cures Everything podcast.